Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. We have a great, great episode for you today. What is one of the fastest ways to grow your wealth with real estate or even as a small business owner? The answer is it's the tax deferred 1031 exchange. If you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what that means, stay tuned. This episode is going to answer some great questions, and we've got some golden nuggets of information throughout this episode. And then a great strategy that you should be thinking about or employing today or this year if you are thinking about doing a 1031 exchange or planning to do a 1031 exchange. The challenge you're going to have in today's market environment may make it difficult for you. But I think we have the solution. It's one of the strategies that we talk about later in the episode. So stay tuned for that. Basically, listen to the entire episode. I think there's just a lot of good information in today's interview with my guest, Dave Foster. So if you need help, there are a lot of people out there who can help you with a 1031 exchange. Some people are more seasoned and better than others. What I do like about my guest today, Dave, is that he is an investor himself and has been using the 1031 to create and grow his wealth for about 22 years. And I thought this episode was timely given what is being proposed in Congress about changes to the tax code there's always, you know, the initiative to tax the rich, tax the wealthy, increase taxes on those that make more money. But what people don't realize is that the tax code is really just an incentive code. It's really the government's way of telling people what to do because the government can't do that thing very well. And rental housing is an example of that. That's why there are tax incentives for real estate investors it's because the government doesn't want to create government housing. It's been tried many times, and we all know how that pans out. So really, the tax code is an incentive for business owners and investors and people in general in telling us what we should be doing with our money, where it would be put to work in our favor to provide the greatest returns for us and get the best in terms of tax deferrals and tax savings. So the 1031 is just one of those, and that is something that we're going to focus on here today. The question is, is will the Biden administration make changes to the tax code, especially the 1031 exchange? It's in the news every single day right now, and it's being kicked around like a football. So anyway, with that, let us get to our interview today, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcast or wherever you listen to this, but iTunes would be the best, and I really appreciate that, so thank you in advance. And here we go with our interview today. It's my pleasure to welcome back a returning guest, Dave Foster. Dave is a degreed accountant and a serial real estate investor, and Dave is also a qualified intermediary and a consultant who shares his tax-saving strategies with investors to take advantage of using the tax-deferred exchange to grow their wealth faster, something we talk about on the show on and off, but quite often. And Dave has been using the 1031 exchange as a cornerstone of his own personal real estate investing for over 20 years now, so he is certainly seasoned and well-versed on the subject. 
And as some of you may recall, we've had Dave on last year, I think it was in March of 2020, for our episode, How to Use Equity to Snowball Your Wealth and Cash Flow. So we're going to pick up, I guess, where we left off with that and talk about the potential changes coming with the 1031 exchange as they are being proposed by the Biden administration. So with that, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Marco, it's great to be back. Yeah, I forgot that that was our title of the last episode because you're absolutely right. Two of my favorite topics, gaining wealth and gaining it faster. So, and a lot of that is how you shut the back door um, so that your silent partner, Uncle Sam, has to do his own work. So that's where I've lived. So yeah, I think today it's definitely a brave new world out there, isn't there? I There was an attorney named Gideon Tucker who once said that no one's person, property, or liberty is safe as long as Congress is in session. (laughs) And I think that's kind of like what we're all feeling right now, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And it's got a lot of people concerned because there's a lot of small business owners out there that could potentially be impacted by changes to this 1031 exchange. In addition to that, there are a lot of real estate investors who use and benefit, you know, using the 1031 exchange to help accelerate and build their wealth faster by deferring taxes on their capital gains. And so that's really one of the topics I want to talk to you about today, because I think a lot of people, well, first of all, I'm sure there's people listening to this that are maybe not even aware that there's this potential change in the tax code coming that will impact what they can and can't do with their capital gains. And I'm sure most, if not all of those people do not want to be taxed on their gains, especially if they're trying to grow their real estate portfolio. So I, I want to talk to you about this today. Before we jump into that, let's um, briefly kind of summarize what the 1031 exchange is. What is the 1031 exchange? And also let's maybe cover why do we like it and why do we want it? Absolutely. So the 1031 exchange has been a part of the tax code for over 100 years. So that's a lot of why it's it's one of those sacred cows that were used to basically to take our country from the agricultural and agrarian industries into the industrial era and into the technology and information era. It's a hugely powerful economic generator, and it's been around for a long, long time. So the fact that it's being talked about for elimination now, yeah, it's causing some pause. In essence, what it allows you to do is to sell investment real estate that you have a profit in or that you have significantly depreciated. Now, a lot of people don't even know what depreciation is. Depreciation is a fake gift that the IRS gives you. They let you pretend that your real estate loses value every year and you get that as a tax write-off. Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, what an awesome way to mitigate rental income and other income. The problem is, when you sell that property, they make you pay it back. So what kind of a gift was it really? So you've got depreciation where you got to pay it back. You've got appreciation. You made money on your property. When you do a 1031 exchange, you sell your property, you buy new investment property. You don't have to pay tax on the middle. So why is that such a big deal? Well, let's say you had a $100,000 gain we had a lot of states between federal and state um, capital gains, you know, a tax bill of maybe $20,000. What if you were able to take that $20,000 and invest it for yourself instead of paying it in tax? Can you make 
10% on your money as a landlord, that's $2,000 every year that's going into your pocket instead of paying the $20,000 once to the government because it's indefinitely deferred. Well, that's huge. Well, there's a dual benefit to that. Not only are you deferring taxes today where you're not paying taxes today or potentially ever if you know how to do it right, but the other benefit, this is kind of a, a dual benefit, is that the taxes you would have paid and that you're saving on, you are now converting into an investment, a, an income-producing and wealth-creating investment. So you're really benefiting on both ends. You're deferring your taxes potentially forever. And at the same time, what you're saving in taxes, you're now turning into wealth creation and potential cash flow. It's a beautiful thing. And so this is why I think so many people are up in arms about the possibility of this changing or even, you know, God forbid, going away. You know, you've said it well, and this has just been for over 100 years, a great way for businesses to grow and profit and do well and expand and help other people and create jobs and do all kinds of things for our economy. It would be a shame for it to be thinned or watered down or even removed. Well, it was originally designed, Marco, for cash-strapped farmers who were wanting to increase their holdings or right at that cusp of the industrial age who were wanting to take land and go buy factories for new Ford cars or whatever was the, the thing at the buggy whips at the time. And because if the farmer sold his land, many times by the time they paid the tax, they wouldn't have enough money left to go buy the new property. So it was a way of stimulating the economy. And when you think about that now, it's a huge generator because when you can take that tax, what are you going to do? You're going to buy more real estate. So there's more transactions that are going to happen. But what people forget is it's not just the landlords and the buy and sell. I was sitting here and I just made some just quick off the cuff notes of what happens. Again, let's take that $100,000 gain, $20,000 tax as part of that one transaction there would have been over $2,000 in loan origination fees for the replacement. There would have been commissions of six to $12,000 for the sale and the buy. There would have been the title company, title insurance and escrow charges of several thousand dollars. There's the rent that comes in annually that is then taxed. That would be several thousand dollars. And those things are on both sides and they're continuing. So I know it's well-intentioned, the government wants money so they can help us. Aren't those the eight most dreaded words in the language? I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get where they're coming from, but that's the kind of economic generation. For every dollar of deferred tax, there's multiples of dollars that are put back into the economy and then spent and used. So they stimulate everybody's jobs, from inspectors to title companies to realtors to handymen to landlords. And they help to provide people a place to live. So it's really not a surprise to me that every president I've been under since I've been doing this for over 20 years has talked about getting away with it, doing away with them. Everyone, because it's low-hanging fruit. But every president to date has left it in place for real estate because they recognize what an economic engine it is. And I would say, actually, there's another shoe that drops on this or another huge benefit. And that is that we appear to be entering a much more accelerated inflationary stage. And inflation is really, in, in essence, it, simplistically, it's more money in circulation. 1031 is an incredible mitigator of that because instead of having to create more money, it makes each dollar work harder. 
So over the course of a year, that $1 may turn over twice because there's the stimulation of making you do 1031 exchanges. So if you print $2, you've created inflation. If you make $1 work twice as hard, you're combating depreciation. I mean, uh, inflation. Right. And so hopefully calmer heads will see all this. I know we're a long ways from it being done, that's for sure. Well, I, I hope if they have intelligent economic advisors that they understand what you just said, which you're talking about the velocity of money and how quickly it transfers from one person to another to another within the economic engine. So let's just hope it doesn't change. And if it does, it has minimal impact. So that's a good segue. So, you know, President Joe Biden is really trying to ask Congress for this tax hike, which is going to impact real estate investors primarily, as well as small business owners. And the uh, pitch, if you will, is to help fund the $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. So maybe give us a summary of what is being proposed and what investors should know about this tax hike. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Right. You know, it's kind of interesting because the target is just moving every week, it seems. If you remember, during one of the campaign promises was getting rid of loopholes like 1031, which is kind of offensive to me. It's like, how do you call a hundred year old tax code a loophole? But be that as it may, <laughs> we was going to get rid of it all. Then he was going to get rid of it for high net worth individuals. Well, it's kind of funny because I, I speculate, of course, but I just kind of wonder if some of those high net worth individuals that make more than $400,000 a year happen to also be elected officials hmm. who said, wait a minute, this has been good for me, change it differently. So then it changed to, I promise I'm not going to hurt anybody making less than 400000 but I'm going to cap 1031 exchanges at $500,000 per gain per year. All of that has been tossed out like some sort of spaghetti noodles to see if it sticks. And right now, I'm not even hearing much noise about it at all. Obviously, the industry itself is gearing up for a fight, but things are strangely quiet about that because I think the noise is starting to percolate through. About what's happening. One thing right off the bat, $500,000 in capital gains is a huge amount. What they're going to collect in taxes is going to be a minuscule amount. The average 1031 sales price is less than $400,000. So the average gain is way less than probably $200,000, which means where are they going to generate any sort of income by blocking it stopping it at $500,000. They're really not. All they're going to do is slow down transactions. And when you slow down transactions, you make the money work not as hard. A lot of people don't get to do inspections or paint or put flooring in or sell properties. And that's what it's all going to be. So we're not quite sure yet where it's going to lie because they're just now getting their arms around the fact that this might not have been such a good idea to promise. Has the $500,000 changed? That's the last I heard. So is that still the proposed number? Yeah. I mean, obviously nothing has been proposed in writing as a formal proposal, but that's still what's being talked about inside the Beltway. So, you know, honestly, I am, I'm not all that concerned. I say that and I'm the guy that has a job because it's there, but because every president has talked about it and come to their senses, I just am kind of optimistic that maybe that'll happen here. If not... I still, I think they're having trouble figuring out where parking places are going to be allocated among Congress. They're having a hard time getting anything done. So I think 
it's such an, an atmosphere of necessary compromise. Mm-hmm. And the votes are so close in so many ways. And already everybody's worried about 2022. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just kind of wonder if it's not going to slide under the carpet. You know, never say never and your lips to God's ear. Yeah. But we can always hope. Yeah. Well, you, you're talking about the size of the impact. Here's kind of an interesting stat or two, but the National Association of Realtors did a study in 2020 and they looked at transactions, 1031 exchange transactions from 2016 through to 2019. And I say only in air quotes here, but only about 12% of those were actually real estate sales. So even though it's probably a large number, percentage wise, it's a relatively small number. And tied in with that, you know, 1031s are also used by small business owners, especially people who are sole proprietors and S corporations. And that realtor survey showed that 84% of those 1031 exchanges were actually small investors, which should be, you know, no surprise to anybody. So who's using the 1031? It's primarily very small and small business owners and small real estate investors. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. You know, which is why it's been for decades my favorite tool. Because we all started out as small investors. And that's the thing that gives you that bootstrap up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It really lets you grow and leverage so you can take advantage of the American dream. It's a powerful tool for the average Joe, the person who is starting to invest in real estate or has been investing in real estate. They have a small portfolio. Well, how do you accelerate your wealth creation? You use a 1031 exchange because if you have held property for a while and you've got a chunk of equity, now you want to put that equity to work. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you pull it out or you sell the property and you have to incur gains on it, well, you're washing away potentially up to who knows, you know, whatever the capital gains taxes are. But if you can put that percentage to work for you, now you can buy more real estate in a shorter period of time and accelerate your wealth creation. So it is a powerful tool if you know how to use it and use it right. Right. So now, Marco, there's actually another component to his plan that worries me even more. I mean, aside from I lose my job if he gets rid of 1031. But what worries me more from an investor point of view is the elimination of the step up in basis. Have you heard about that? Well, I've heard about it, but I don't know a lot about it. And I'm sure the people listening today are uh, very unfamiliar with it. So why don't we go over that? Yeah. So let's start with what the four D's of 1031 investing are. They stand for defer, 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 and die. As long as you keep the 1031 rolling forward, you're never going to pay that tax. All of that tax is benefiting you. So if you own a property and don't sell it, even if 1031 goes away, If you're sitting on a property and don't sell it, you're never going to pay the tax. Well, guess what I'm going to be motivated to do if 1031 goes away? I'm going to hang on to properties longer because I don't want to pay the tax. As long as anytime you sell that property and do a 1031 exchange, you never pay the tax. Here's where it gets really fun right now. If you die owning a piece of property, then your heirs inherit that at what is called a stepped up basis. So they inherited as if they paid market value for it on the day you died. In other words, you are giving your heirs a tax-free legacy of wealth to start with. And, you know, I'm sure you're the same way I am. I looked at where my parents took me. I'm incredibly grateful for that. But I look at my children and I say, I want them to do better. And one way that I can ensure that is by holding on to my properties putting them into my estate and letting them inherit them tax-free. 
under current law. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That gives my kids a massive leg up mm -hmm. on my work. Well, part of President Biden's plan is to eliminate that step up in basis. So what's going to happen is when you die, all that tax comes due. Now, what if you've got a family home in one of your favorite vacation areas in Idaho or Tennessee or wherever that has been in your family for decades? You and your children have known it, loved it, and it's massively appreciated. It's very conceivable that when you die, your children would have to sell that property simply to pay the taxes without the opportunity to hang on to it as a legacy to you or to maintain that family cohesion that's there. So I think that's probably even a more insidious mm -hmm. and hurtful provision in the plan is eliminating that step up in basis. We all like the chance to build, to grow, and to create. That's the American way. We'd all love the chance to give that to our children, to let them continue the process. Is that elimination of the step-up basis a part of the pitch on the 1031 exchange, or is that a separate proposal or idea? It's a separate proposal, but there's definitely a cross-impact, isn't there? Yeah. Because right now people are using 1031 to try and hang on until they die. So there's definitely impact on both sides. That's actually a separate part that is speaking more to his taxation on his states. Or Senator Warren, who's proposing that uh, just punitive tax on assets over X number of million dollars. It amazes me how these people can make proposals on taxes, finance, and things that relate to the economy when they have zero or very little experience in it, have never really owned or started a business in their life, but yet they're making decisions as if they are, you know, seasoned uh, business owners and investors. <laughs> it's oh, just gosh. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody's an, everybody's an expert when they're spending my money. Exactly. And they don't even know how to spend it properly. Crazy. Well, so, you know, how much, I think you touched on this, but how much of an impact do you think this restriction on the 1031 exchange will have on real estate investing should it change or go through? You know, I think it's going to change the course that an investor will use throughout their life cycle. Because typically the general life cycle of a real estate investor is they start out, well, actually they start out as accidental investors. Right. That's the prototype. Right. Two people get married, they each have a house. They get married, they move into one. Boom, they're investors. They like that so much, they go buy a second and then a third, and then a fourth. And then they realize that there's economies of scale by going bigger rather than more. So they transition into multifamily, larger properties. And then they transition from there typically into some of the more exotic things like commercial, industrial, special purpose type properties. And then as they start to reach the end of their career, they again look to simplify. So they start to sell from active into passive. So they can just generate income. What I think is going to happen, we're going to see a lot of that middle step of growth not happen. And we're going to see investors, they're going to try to stay small because that'll let them keep their sales under 500,000. This is where a company like Narada, where you guys, I'm sure, see an impact because people are out there with an asset to sell. Why would I want to buy one big asset knowing that I'm going to be taxed on it if I sell when I can spread this sale among two or three. And then when I sell those, I'll still be able to 1031 them because mm -hmm. I'll be under the $500,000 cap. So I think we'll see people stay in smaller asset investing longer. I think they'll buy and sell less 
that's going to be a given. And I think that they'll probably start to transition into exotic ownership vehicles, more trusts, LLCs, family LLCs, and that kind of thing. So that when they die, only a portion of the sale of the property goes into their estate and is taxed. So I think those are kind of the things that I'm actually seeing an uptick on right now. Yeah, everything you just said is very interesting because it forms a modified strategy on what people are investing in, what they continue to invest in, and the path that they stay on. And I've always been a big believer in building a portfolio of single-family, duplex, triplex, fourplex, nothing larger than a fourplex because the financing is far better for what we call residential real estate, which is anything that is smaller than a five-unit complex. But you make an argument or a case to stay that path, stay that course, because changes to the 1031 exchange allow for you to take advantage of you know, the changes to the limitations, whether they be $500,000 in gains or maybe less. Who knows? Oh, my gosh, yes. And I actually love those smaller multis myself because they've got an added benefit, two, two added benefits, actually. The first one is that as long as you stay under five, both with conventional and FHA financing, you can get into those now for three and a half percent down mm. at a very, very favorable rate that's fixed. And remember, I'm thinking inflation is creeping. So anything that I can place into long-term fixed interest debt, I'm grabbing right now. So that's number one. But number two, and this is huge when you couple it with the 1031, is when you use either conventional or FHA, to buy a four unit or fewer, you're actually buying, you can be if you want, buying two properties. One is your primary residence, one fourth of that quad. The other three are invest is an investment property. And the rules for your primary residence are different. And there's nobody talking about tinkering with them. If you live in a property you own for two out of the five years prior to sale, then you get the first, if you're married, $500,000 in profit tax-free. So think about this as a path. And I'm sure this is exactly where you were going. You buy a quad, live in one unit of it for two years. And when you're ready to sell that, one-fourth of that profit is tax-free. The other three, you're going to do a 1031 exchange on and go buy another quad or two quads or whatever move into one of the units and in two years you've got another tax-free chunk you've got another opportunity to 1031 or if 1031 goes away you're still living in one and turning it in to tax-free so periodically you're taking a bite out of the tax man yep you still have and those i absolutely exemptions. love that model yeah that's a great model they refer to that as house hacking that's kind of a uh, what they loosely refer to that strategy as exactly yeah and, and it's a great way to start i mean not everybody's going to do that because they already have a home and they've already been purchasing rental properties but if you're just getting started what you know what better way than to buy your own principal residence as a duplex triplex or fourplex live in part of it rent out the others you can live effectively rent free while creating wealth at the same time it's it's beautiful right well and let's take that a step further let's say you're not a candidate um mm -hmm. your family's growing too much you're not a candidate for taking on four, living in one-fourth of a quad. There's so much attraction now for the tiny home movement and the ADU movement. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of big lots across America. Go buy a beautiful Victorian house 
on a quarter acre lot and put an ADU in the back. That just became your house act. And in many cases, there's municipalities that are letting you start to separate those as two different lots. So again, when you sell, you're selling part investment and you're selling part primary residence. I love it. There is a ton of ways to skin that cat and the bright lawyers and folks will figure it out. Yeah. So let's throw the question out there. What should investors do, if anything at all, to prepare for the possible change in this 1031 tax code? We don't know if it's going to pass, but should it pass or change? You know, is there something we should be doing right now to prepare for it? Wow. I'm trying to think of a funny quip related to Congress not getting anything done. Gridlock is our <laughs> friend. And, uh, you know, I, I literally I was a lot more worried when I saw all of the both houses and the executive aligning under the same political party. Because I've always been a firm believer that if one side, if one of the houses is going to be Republican, the other needs to be Democrat. And I really wish the president was just a libertarian because then they never get anything done. And they can just argue in Washington and leave us alone. So you <laughs> never want to take action based on something you think Congress is going to do. Right. That's probably a bad bet. But you do want to take advantage of everything that you can do right now. And the things that loom on the horizon for me um, that are immediate, I think the uptick in inflation is telling me that I want to sell and reposition my reposition my assets into long-term fixed debt using 1031 exchanges so that that's going to mitigate inflation because it's here. It's not mm -hmm. maybe going to come, it's here. And then along with that would be the idea of also looking at one of the things we know Congress wants to do, and so does America, is we've become a nation of renters. And that's not good for the economy because home ownership lets you keep pace with inflation somewhat. Right. So we know that there's going to be incentives of some sort or another for single family home ownership. Well, so I'm saying get a jump on that game. We're seeing the huge hedge funds. Private equity firms are buying single-family homes in blocks of thousands. Yep. I think small investors need to jump right in there too, because that's always the most stable in a correction anyways, single-family homes. And if you're positioned in those, you're prepared for just about whatever happens. If 1031 gets limited, you're spread out, so you're okay. If there's a correction, you've got smaller assets to worry about. Bread and butter single-family homes are always going to be the easiest to rent. And what's interesting is the greater the incentives the government gives for people to buy single family homes, do you know what happens to those homes? Their price goes up. Trust me, the very seldom do the people who the incentives are meant for get the benefit. It's the people who hold the asset and sell that to them. So all reasons why I'm starting to look back at single families, I know everybody feels they're overpriced. Yeah, but if I was going to sell something, I got to admit it would be overpriced when I sell it. So that's the uh, poison pill you got to swallow. Well, it, it may be, it, it definitely is a topic for another day. And it's something I've been thinking about doing an, an episode on inflation specifically in today's environment. So it's out of the scope of this particular conversation. But the thing is, is as much as real estate has gone up pretty much across the country over the last 12 plus months, incredibly like double digit rates of appreciation in so many markets. The thing is, is it's not that, the value of those properties have gone up. 
it's the purchasing power of the dollar, the currency, has gone down so much so fast because of all this excess money printing, the trillions of dollars that have been injected in, into the economy through these recovery acts that what's really happening is the purchasing power of the dollar is going down, which is pushing up the nominal price of the asset. But in real terms, it hasn't changed. It's just that the dollar is worth less. So, you know, we say, oh, real estate is appreciating so much. Well, no, it's not. It's the same in value. Price has gone up in nominal terms. The problem is this, is that wages aren't going up at the same rate as the price of real estate. So if it did, if they went up, you know, in lockstep with each other, it'd be no a non-issue because you're able to afford the same amount of house today as you did 12 months or 18 months ago. But that's not the case. Wages are lagging far behind, and that's why affordability is going down. So I know that was a mouthful, but that's the truth. Well, it's the same two by four, isn't it? Yeah. But tell me how your builders feel about it now. I bet they're posting armed guards at their sites. <laughs> yes, that's probably true. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's start to uh, land this plane. I have one or two other questions here, just to kind of tie a bow on the whole thing. Well, first of all, let me ask you: How likely do you think it is that these changes are coming? Ah, you're telling me to put my prognostication hat on. Yes. Yeah. Nobody um, knows, but, and this is going to be kicked around like a football for a while. Oh, but. heck yeah. It's going to be fun. I can't <laughs> wait to see the hate mail. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's likely at all that it goes away. I don't think it's going away. I are you, think are you talking about the 1031? 1031, yeah. Okay. I think that it is possible the worst that will happen in my, the worst possible case is going to be that it's limited to the $500,000 per year. But I think it's still less than 50% on that. So step up in basis, I think that's got a pretty high likelihood in being limited or eliminated. Well, that was my other question is the step up basis, what's happening there. So that was my second question. Yeah, because I mean, you know, if you want to give out 3.5 trillion, there's got to be a way to pay it. I get it. And once they vote that, then they have to find a way to pay it. And there is a lot of uh, dollars that are being passed down generationally. That seemed to be an easy target. Okay. Well, we could go on about this, but I think we've covered all the main points. Is there um, any tips, suggestions, or advice that you want to give people about the 1031 before we uh, tell people how they can find you and get more information? Yeah. I mean, I would just say, obviously, investors are getting the idea. Now's the time. And even if it wasn't the administration doing this, mm -hmm. we're in a very mature market. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a mature market, you start to think about making moves that you can sustain in the ownership of a property while the correction goes through. When I was, uh, I happened to be a QI and an investor during uh, those, what we refer to as the dark days of 2007, 2008, 2009. Interestingly enough, a lot of my clients never lost a penny because they positioned themselves with debt and with assets that they never had to sell. On paper, they went from being worth millions of dollars to negative many times. But because they never had to sell, today, they still own those properties and they're worth millions again. So the idea is to position yourself now where you can sustain the debt in a correction, position it where you've got properties that perhaps are gonna be much less capital expense intensive. Get rid of the older home where there's a roof coming up by newer construction. And you're going to make the same amount of money, but guess what? You're going to spend less repairing the one. 
And it's those surprises that will catch you in a correction. And the 1031 is perfect to do that because you can do that without missing a beat, without paying tax, sell the old property, go buy a couple of new properties with low debt, and then be ready to hang on for a few years. I just remembered something we were talking about before we started recording that I asked you to remind me to... Uh, I was supposed to beat you, wasn't I? That's right. You were supposed to kick me in the side of the head to remind me. This is a great strategy. So I guess we saved the best for the last almost, but talk about how to do a 1031 today, given the current environment that we're in with strong demand, lack of supply, and problems finding good inventory quickly enough to get the 1031 done. You made a great comment or oh, suggestion yeah. from a strategic perspective. And I think this is a major golden nugget for this episode. Oh, yeah. And it actually stems from the statutory order of what the 1031 exchange is. You have to close the sale of your old property before you close the purchase of your new property. But the order of contract doesn't matter. So right now, the easiest thing in the world to do is to sell a piece of property. The hardest thing to do is to buy one. So we have a lot of clients that are not even putting their properties on the market. They're out there finding the properties they want to buy. They're maybe, they're very cash heavy investors. So they're able to offer substantial earnest money, sometimes even releasable earnest money to entice the seller to sell to them. And then once they get a contract for their purchase, then they put their old property on the market and it sells in two days and boom, you've got a perfect 1031 exchange because you're going to close the sale before you close the purchase. You just went about doing the hard part first and that protected you. Now, where this actually extends market, which is really cool, is in the world of new construction. Every builder in America thinks that each month has 45 days. I don't know where they got that idea. But they tell you it can be done in six months. That really means nine or 10. <laughs> just how it is. It's not their fault. It's just how they do math. But that's the problem with the 1031, right? It's from the date of the closing of your sale. You only have 180 days right. to take title. How can you do that with new construction? By going into contract on a new construction property before you close your sale. So your couple things happen. But this is so awesome. So you're under contract. Guess what? You locked in your purchase price. It doesn't matter what happens to the cost of two by fours. You've got your price set, but you haven't listed your old property. So every month you wait, you're making another what? 5% it seems sometimes. Right. <laughs> so you're double dipping on both ends. You controlled your purchase, but you're allowed your sale yeah. to gain in value. That's a and brilliant then when strategy. when you're certain that that new construction is three or four months out from build from being done, put your old property on the market and close the sale. It's a, that's a, you're right. It's a very, very powerful strategy. Yeah. I love that. That is huge, huge, huge. I hope people need to rewind that last two minutes and listen to it again, because it's super powerful. And really it licks the problem that we have today with this supply and demand imbalance. So that's great, Dave. That's brilliant. Dave, share with our audience, our listeners, how they can find you and get more information because you're a very sharp investor and someone who really understands the 1031 exchange and how to implement it properly. So where can people find you? Yeah, go right to our education portal, the1031investor.com. Uh, we've got a whole YouTube series of about 32 videos, calculators, 
blog articles, everything you need to give yourself the ammunition to take your portfolio and your investing career forward. And you'll find me there. Awesome. Dave, I uh, really appreciate you coming back on. I think we're going to have to have you on a regular basis, like once a year. So (laughs) it's always fun. It is fun. Well, good stuff. We'll get this uh, out live soon. And um, I appreciate you coming on, Dave. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's interview. I think this was a great episode. If you have questions about what we covered today, by all means, get in touch with my team here. Our investment counselors can help you implement a 1031 exchange. We would bring someone like Dave in to help the accommodator for that and facilitate that for you. But we can certainly help you line up the acquisitions of your new properties to build your portfolio using the 1031 exchange. So other than that, if you have any questions about this, hit up my team or just contact me through the PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com website. Remember to subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. Help us spread the word. Share this with your friends and family. Share the education. Let them learn about wealth creation, investing, finance, taxes, whatever it may be through the show. If you have a guest recommendation, by all means, let me know. I'm hitting up a couple different people right now that I think would make great guests for the show and I hope to get them on soon. That's it for today. Thank you for listening and I will see you on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.